look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. This is a unique setting we have here. We're all masked up. We are now back together. Two weeks away, you were, Dave, yep. from, from the show. We had Andrew filling yep. in. You're here now. We're all masked up. We're For those of you who don't know how our, our uh, location in, in downtown Calgary, the room that we record this in is pretty pretty close. So we're less than six feet away. So we've got the hand sanitizers going, the masks going. Yep. We're, the numbers have gone up, Dave. People are scared yep. out there. And there are also people who just don't believe in the stuff that's happening. Well, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it, it's all over the place. It, no matter what your belief is, it's having an impact. It's having an impact on us socially. It has an impact us, on us um, from a work perspective, yeah. right, economically, and not just in Canada, obviously. This is the Correct. same issue everywhere. Correct. Right? And you're hearing more and more businesses yeah. publicly traded in the stock market or even privately here and locally are saying, can everybody just relax a bit, stay home, play it safe. We yeah. don't want to shut down right. our economies. And you're seeing that certain parts of, yeah. of North America have shut down other schools or they've restricted time when you can come out, so on and so forth. And I understand that we're kind of getting that COVID fatigue. Yeah. We're, we're, we're frustrated because we, we are limited in what our freedoms were before. Yes. But this is some serious stuff. We have friends that are in our medical, medical physicians in the ICU telling yep. us, guys, it's getting worse. It's yep. not getting better. So we're getting a lot of information, and that kind of doesn't really get through to the markets. The markets, the stock market, especially in Canada and the United States, haven't been negatively impacted in a severe way right. with and the growing con- number of, of cases. And it's confusing for a lot of people Absolutely. of why that is. And, and so let's talk a little bit about that, um, uh, because in, in the fourth segment today, you know, we've had lots of questions uh, from people including our clients, about how did we do so well through this? And we want to share some of that secret sauce, right? Because being active, remember, volatility creates opportunity. Correct. It can be scary. I'm not trying to d- diminish the impact it can have there. But it always creates opportunity. And we want to talk about moves, how to trade and profit from that kind of volatility, okay? but That's going to be on our show today. We also have a conversation about what's the geopolitics around COVID. The vaccine's sure. coming. Yep. It's coming soon. Yep. Who gets it? Who doesn't? Who's going to fight about it? Yep. Can you imagine Biden versus Trump in a boxing match over this one? <laughs> Come on. Okay, did I just give you a visual? That'd be interesting. That I would think... be a heck of a pay, uh, pay-per-view. I think, oh yeah, that'd be and... a Zoom call. <laughs> I don't think you'll get that many people looking at... Biden versus Trudeau in a boxing. Anyways, that point, I digress. That's a pretty good one, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we also have... Well, we're uh, getting to the end of the year. Yeah. And every year we have a conversation around how to prepare yourself, um, you know, from a tax perspective, the most in the most effective way you can. And there's some differences this year because we've had SERB payments and so on and so forth. Yep. So we're going to talk to Jamie Golenbeck and get some tips about what we should be thinking about preparing... Uh, and taking advantage of before the calendar changes we're to also January gonna t- 1. On this, on this piece, we're going to talk to him. Wealth tax. Right. Principal residence taxation. Right. Increase in capital gains tax. These right. things are around the corner, coming right. our way. And what do we do really about it? really worried about it. You what bet. do we do about it? We're going to have that conversation. So it's going to be a great show today. Dave, these markets really didn't move much this week. You, ha- you saw smaller volatility versus... Uh, what we've seen in previous weeks, up or down. Yeah. And so are we just, is COVID fatigue hitting the market fatigue? 
Well, so I'm going to use a, a phrase that I heard this week from a friend of mine. His name is Tino. So if you're listening, Tino, this is credited to you. He said, we're on the march to march. Mm. Right? So, you know, his comment in our conversation was, you know, we've, we've heard a whole bunch of good things. Now, the numbers of, of COVID cases are rising, but we've got good news on the vaccination front. What we have to do is we've got to get to march. Yeah. Right? Then the weather turns. Things will start to settle down naturally. We've got vaccination. So it's the march to march. And I think we need to think in those, ter- uh, in those terms. Now, what's interesting about that, from my perspective, when we talk about markets and pricing it, right? What's the market reacting to? Why haven't we seen big crashes? Correct. Right? And it's because the market is future-looking, right? It's not reacting to today's numbers because those numbers are bad, right? But what's on the horizon, okay? And we have seen, we have seen some bouts where, mm-hmm. you know, uh, say the S&P down 5 6 7%, something like that. And yeah. then it gets backfilled. Money comes in to bid it up. Correct. Right? So when you're trying to, to, to price the timeline on this, price the opportunity, we're actually dealing with a relatively short timeline. And we're dealing, I think, with, with a global environment, a global government that has learned how better to handle closures and be more targeted and more effective at support payments rather than what we started with last last March. Yeah, the markets are looking for more and more stimulus. They're looking for more and more money being pumped into the economy, protecting individuals. That's now the expectation. Right. When you have that as your expectation, the only thing that would shock the market will be as if that doesn't happen. Correct. They say, nope, we're not going to write a check anymore. Right. Everybody's on their own. Right. Probability of the government saying to their people, "Hmm, you, you know, sucks to be you, you're on your own. Very unlikely, if almost impossible in my view. Yeah. And so there's going to, now the question is how much stimulus? Yeah, that's right. Um, but but stimulus, the, the key word there is stimulus, right? Yeah. The mar- market will price that in. The stimulus comes in, in a whole bunch of different ways, as we know. It can be yeah. direct payments. Yeah. You know, we just went through a, a recession, perhaps the first recession in history, if um, my research is accurate, that we actually had consumer spending go up. Yeah. Right? Income go up. Savings rate go, go up, up during a recession. During a recession. That's, that's unheard right. of. A, a really unique approach that, from an economics perspective, supported people businesses, right? Yeah. And, um, and, and spending. And that's not to say there aren't people that were negatively affected and we feel bad for every one of those people, but this was a very different, different approach there. It's unlikely governments are going to give up that approach right now. Yeah, I agree. Right. I agree. And that, that kind of gives you a different landscape of how to invest into, which is why we're not seeing the huge gyrations in the markets and so forth. So I think that's, that's interesting. Vaccines are on its way, um, within months that they're going to get, some sort of solution. As for distribution, different conversation, but it's going to be a solution that, you know, they've been approved. That's right. And um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in the next segment, about what the impact of those vaccinations are and how do we get all that, how do we get it out to people, right, and the different kinds of vaccinations. It's an important element to this, to the overall um, pricing of this timeline. Correct. Right? And so let's, let's kind of give uh, uh, our, our listeners a little bit of an, a conversation about some of the things that are happening behind the scenes when it comes to investing your port on your portfolio, what these governments have just opened up is the ability to invest anywhere more now than ever before, mm-hmm. because they've said, "Look, we're all gonna, we're all in this together. We're all going to pump money. So, how do you value a company based upon the stimulus?" Is where we call it the secret sauce. Sometimes that's yeah. going to happen. We're going to talk about that today, but right. I think. These markets, and especially the bond market, is actually looking at this saying, right now we've got a safety net. It's, it's looking pretty good. Should that safety net get changed or removed, that's where the impacts are going to be. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, so we're going to talk about that in, in, in the fourth segment. I want to go through some of the, not, not just high-level process stuff, but talk about some of the trades that were done and why and how data becomes important in these decisions and, and whatnot. Yeah. But anyways, we got to make, you know, ultimately we have to make sense of this. The, the pandemic will pass, okay? And for people that are either transitioning to or living in retirement, we got a long way to go. And mm-hmm. there's going to be more problems in the future, different kinds, whatever the case may be. And that's what we want to talk about and help people understand and build a framework and a strategy and a structure that can support them through whatever the problem is that we're facing. Let's call it portfolio success. How do you actually have that that ingredient for portfolio success? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, December 8th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. How bad off is Canada going to be under a Biden administration? Stick around after the break. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. You're here with Dave and Faisal. We've got Peter Zion with us today, geopolitical expert. It's been a couple of months since we talked to Peter. And guess what? There's a few things that have changed recently. Just a little thing called an election. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, uh, we've had some vaccination notifications here, uh, early stages, and we've got worse numbers with COVID. What does all this mean, man? Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting time when it comes to the geopolitical piece. Mm-hmm. Because now I think there's going to be bigger fights happening, but I want to get uh, and fights between countries. Because if you've got a limited number of vaccine yeah. Yeah. opportunities, who gets what and stuff like that, let's let's have that kind of conversation with Peter. I think it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Peter, welcome to the show. Good to be back. All right, it's been a little while since we last chatted. Let's uh, let's just talk maybe about the election so far. I'd love to get your opinion on uh, <laughs> if this thing ever gets settled. And it is a Biden administration. What does that mean? What's it going to mean globally? Well, let me give you for the election, the bad news and the good news. Uh, the, the, uh, the bad news is that the legal challenges are continuing, although probably resolved this week. Uh, the last case that matters is going to be heard in Pennsylvania. And it's probably going to be thrown out due to lack of evidence. So I don't know if that's going to mean that Trump is going to concede, uh, but it does mean that this is pretty much locked in. Now, for the, the first six months of the Biden administration, He's going to be dealing with political issues related to coronavirus. Uh, I do have some hope that this is going to get off on the right foot. Everybody agrees that there needs to be another coronavirus package, uh, bailout package, stimulus package, whatever you want to call it. And so we actually do have a topic for cooperation right off the bat. And perhaps the best news is if you look down into the demographic data, even in Wyoming, where like half of the population are still working cowboys, and even in Vermont, where half the population thinks that Bernie Sanders is just too conservative, <laughs> one third of the voter base voted for the other guy. So huh. Americans love to scream at one another, but the country is not nearly as divided as it appears. I mean, we're not dealing with anything like the election splits that Canada regularly sees between Alberta and the core, between Quebec and Toronto. Uh, this this is just what it's like to be in the United States, and social media has given everyone a bullhorn. Right. All right, so let's talk about now the vaccines. We've been hearing three or four different companies coming out saying, we're ready, we want to get emergency approval. Here's my qu- question and concern about this. There is, what, 7 billion-plus people in the world? Mm-hmm. Let's say mm-hmm. the wealthiest are in, in uh, the U.S., maybe China, and uh, in Europe. Who gets the vaccine? How do they figure out how much volume they can they can push out to the public? How does that work? Like, and, and from a geopolitical perspective, if 
if Europe gets more of their population covered than, let's say, the U.S. does, is this going to be a big fight happening between these these nations? Or like, how do you see this panning out? It really depends upon what the winning vaccine is, and that'll determine just how hot the, the political debate are gonna, is going to be. So, for example, uh, Pfizer is, says they're going to apply tomorrow. Uh, the downside of their vaccine, there's two downsides. Uh, number one, it takes two shots, not one, so you need mm-hmm. twice as many shots. Mm-hmm. And second, it needs to be uh, stored at ultra-cold conditions, uh, something like a negative 70, I'm sorry, negative 100 centigrade. Uh, so we just don't have a cold chain for distributing that. And if that is the only vaccine that we have, the United States won't be able to start mass vaccination until the second half of next year. Uh, and in that sort of environment, when distribution is the issue, not production, uh, it's really hard to have an argument because it's not like there's a lot. It's obvious that one country isn't going to get it all because there isn't much to have. Uh, however, if the Johnson & Johnson formula proves to be available in a similar time frame. It just needs normal refrigeration, and it's a once-and-done. Then it's a manufacturing issue. And then we can have, talk about having an argument between America and Europe and the rest of the world over who gets quick. Uh, but keep in mind that this is a transitory issue, because if we do have the J&J one win, we're going to be producing more than a billion cases next year, uh, and probably five billion the following year. So the issue of getting who gets it first is a matter of three to six months, not one to two, three years like it would be with something that requires more of a cold chain. Also, keep in mind, if we do get the Pfizer one, and if that is the only one, you're talking about not getting global coverage for six or seven years, if at all, because there's large parts of the world where ultra-cold chain distribution simply isn't an option. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I would expect over the coming, uh, you know, next few months, you're going to hear about other big trials, and there's a, there's a ton on the go. If in fact we end up Absolutely. with a number of vaccinations that uh, do work, um, are is the manufacturing? Let's assume it's all most going to be done at uh, you know regular refrigerated temperatures. Is the manufacturing capacity in in pharmaceuticals large enough to accept more than two or three or what's the limit here in terms of manufacturing capacity if you got multiple winners this is actually probably the best news uh there's manufacturing capacities for vaccines in multiple countries china europe canada the united states Mm -hmm. Uh, and each of the candidates that is currently in phase three testing they have all every single one of them has started production as if they were going to be the only one So there's definitely stresses in the system, and definitely that is pushing prices up. But with the amount of monetary and fiscal firepower that governments have thrown at this, it's almost a rounding error. So what you identified is actually the most likely outcome, that we will have multiple vaccines, some of which will be available in the same country, some of which are exclusive to this or that place. Uh, But we should be able to accelerate vaccination. Now, these won't be equivalent. And after the first year, they are going to tweak all their formulas, and some of them are probably going to merge efforts and will come out with better vaccines. But I've got to say, the initial results that we've gotten from Moderna and Pfizer are very positive. Remember, these are the ones that were using that new mRNA strategy that Mm -hmm. has never really been done before. And so far, it's going beautifully. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Let me ask this question. You're, you're, You're now in charge of a country. You know that there's a certain demographic that's impacted with COVID from a, from a life expectancy perspective, the elderly get hit hard with this stuff. Yeah. 
do we put the vaccines and give it all to them first or do because there's a higher percentage of population now that's impacted by this than than there is in the general population like what my question really is is do you give it to all your seniors first let them have that first round and then give to the rest of the population because there's going to be a lot of fighting about that because I I can just see the issues coming from there right Uh, what are your thoughts Peter If you had enough doses off the bat to saturate that population, I would say absolutely that's where you would start. But we don't. We have to ramp up. And so we have to be a lot more selective. And so first load, go to first responders. Second wave goes to the substreet that helps the medical facilities, uh, whether you're in accounting or driving a truck. Anyone associated with healthcare is in the second round. Uh, And then third round, you start going for the more – uh, endangered populations. Uh, the problem is if you do an insufficient inoculation of the endangered populations first, but don't help out your healthcare workers, you're actually probably going to cause more deaths yeah. because you'll have people in that population assume that enough of that population has been inoculated that they mm-hmm. can act normally, and you'll probably actually see a surge of people into the ER, which would just make things worse. How does this whole thing impact Canada? Uh, you guys have a couple of interesting things going on. Uh, some of the integration issues be, with NAFTA and NAFTA 2 between Canada and the United States are kind of on hold right now. And that's everything from health insurance to public uh, transportation to being able to drive over the border in order to get medical assistance. Uh, Canada has been fairly aggressive at cutting deals with multiple drug producers so that whichever one comes out first, uh, Canada gets a cut of. Uh, And since it looks like we're probably going to have two, three, maybe even four coming out at more at the same time, that would argue that all Canada has to worry about is an internal distribution issue, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, for for being in this situation, about as good as you can hope for. So I think the general superior level of health among Canadians has Uh, handed you guys a significant advantage over the United States to this point. You're just a healthier population. And your ability to deal with immediate care as opposed to chronic care better than the United States also helps in this situation. The only danger I see is provincial Uh health care, for the most part, is a provincial prerogative. And obviously, the provinces all have their opinions about how this should be distributed. Now, this is something that all the provinces have been thinking about since the beginning. This is not going to catch you unawares. But jostling within federation over who gets what first, because you have very different demographic structures in each province, mm-hmm. that is the only landmine I kind of see, and that is purely political. <laughs> and that's that's been the, our country's problems for everything. It's yeah. been provincial issues, not not a national issue. We turn it into a national issue because it's province versus province, and uh, that's mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting to see. Peter, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. problems go, at least it's one you're familiar with. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. We've dealt with it before. Uh, We have to leave it there, but as always, we appreciate your insights into into this changing, dynamic, and really interesting world that we live in. No worries. You guys take care. I've been joined by Peter Zine. He's a geopolitical expert. And uh, speaking of geopolitics, you know, we we have the entire world that we can invest in. Um, we can invest people's money in to get exposure to whatever asset class and whatever country that you want. And that represents a really unique opportunity mm-hmm. down how you can both profit and protect through crazy markets. And we're going to talk about some of that at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, that'll be on Tuesday, December 8th, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
Stick around after the break if you want to learn how to save on your taxes this year here on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. It's tax time, buddy. And we've got to talk about... It's year-end, right? So it's, it's not tax time. People have to Oh, sorry. It's year-end tax planning. Fair enough. And yeah. this is year-end. We're giving people, you know, a few weeks to kind of get their house in order right. and be ready for 2021. Right. But there's very little you can do turn when the calendar year turns, right? And for this particular tax year, so we think it's always a great idea to get some tax tips from our resident expert, Jimmy Golenbeck, who's the Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Private Wealth Management. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be back. Let's, uh, let's try to get people prepared here uh, for the end of this year, and uh, we'd love to hear from you about some of the maybe the key tips and key things people should be thinking about as we approach the end of the year, really to be as effective and as efficient as they can for the uh, 2020 tax year. Sure. So let's I start off with, the... with, with indi- yeah. individuals. Jamie, sorry, I want to just jump in. Let's start off with individuals. There's a whole bunch of stuff we can do for year-end. But there's one part of that, that I was reading that we were of our of our of our piece together on the on the year end piece. Let's start off with the individuals. What can they do hmm. to save on taxes for 2020? Well, I think that the only thing that's really different, and we have this conversation, of course, every year. But the thing that's really different about 2020, of course, of the COVID-19 pandemic, is that individuals that have received benefit payments uh, from uh, as a result of COVID-19. Right. In particular, I'm really thinking of the CERB, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. You know, we've got some listeners that may have received uh, $14,000 of CERB. And, of course, the amount of tax that you pay on that could be anywhere from zero, if that was your only source of income during the year, um, to as high as almost 50%, right, depending on your tax bracket and how much other income you had during the year. So the government's going to send you a T4A slip with the total amount of CERB that you received. And, uh, therefore, it's important uh, towards the end of the year, now that you've got an estimate of what your total income is for 2020, more or less, you know, only six weeks left of the year, um, to really uh, estimate how much tax you think you might owe. Because remember, the government did not withhold any tax at all from the CERB. So again, you could be looking at a bill for, you know, depending on your personal situation and how many months you worked this year and what your income was pre and post, uh, you know, pandemic, um, you could be looking at up to a $7,000 tax bill, right? So you want to set aside that money to make sure that it's not a surprise come come April 30th. And, and similarly, with the new benefits, the Canada Recovery Benefit that started at the end of September, the Sickness Benefit, and the Recovery Caregiving Benefit, those three benefits, $500 a week, or, uh, depending on, on the scenario. Uh, remember, they are withholding, but they're only withholding 10%. So again, that's probably not enough for, for many people. So our first tip is to keep in mind that you may owe some taxes next spring, and now is a good time to Sort of estimate you can go online use that uh, we use the ernst and young tax calculator just mm-hmm. google it very easy to find and uh, just enter your province alberta and then you type in the amount of income you have and it'll tell you exactly to the dollar uh, how much tax you owe this year this would also be a good time to th- for thinking about how much rsp contribution room you may have jamie and then to offset some of those taxes and, and kind of walk through people just that they haven't the government hasn't re- uh, withheld any income tax in advance for for these types of programs and many Canadians still don't maximize their RSP contribution room, so there's an opportunity there. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. And so, again, you know, remember, RSP, we don't have a year deadline, right? Unless you turn 71, by the way, right, which is a, right. the piece I just wrote about in today's uh, financial post. Um, but basically, unless you're turning 71, you still have time, right? you got that 60-day deadline, the March 1st deadline to contribute for 2020. It will give you a deduction against your 2020 tax return. So now is a great time to look at your RSP contribution room. You know, most Canadians have 
um, thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars of unused room. So that is an opportunity to, if you have it, if you can afford to do it, set aside some of that money in the RSP, get a tax deduction. That would reduce your income for 2020. That actually might save you the tax yeah. uh, on those government benefits. So, Jimmy, there's there's been a lot of volatility in the markets. People have seen their portfolios go up and down. Capital gains, losses, uh, uh, those are things that people don't always are, are on the ball with every year. I think this year is a good opportunity for either or. Walk us through your thoughts behind how Canadians can save money on tax when it comes to their you know, portfolios. Sure. Yeah, a couple of things to think about. Of course, towards the end of the year, we always think about tax loss selling. So obviously there's losses in the portfolio. Look, markets have been up and down depending on what you own. Certain stocks have gone through the roof. Other stocks have not done as well. So the opportunity to crystallize a loss before the end of the year, the trade date this year on stocks was December the 29th to make sure you have settlement by December the 31st, give you a loss this year. That loss, of course, can only be used against other capital gains this year. Uh, if you have excess losses, you can actually go back three calendar years and get back a refund for capital gains tax. You might have paid in those three years or certainly carry forward that loss indefinitely in the future. On the other hand, if you have stocks that have gone up in value in terms of capital gains, you might think of year-end donations. Certainly a lot of mm. charities are struggling uh, given the result of COVID-19. Uh, what an opportunity to make a gift of an appreciated security to register Canadian charity. Not only will you get a tax receipt for the fair market value, saving you, you know, about 50% or so, um, but in addition to that, you pay no capital gains tax whatsoever on the accrued gain on the stock you're giving to charity. So I call that tax loss mm -hmm. selling or tax gain donating, yeah. both things that you want to think about in the month of November, December this year. Now, Jamie, the report that you put together that we have internally at the firm uh, was, what, five, six pages in length, if I remember correctly, um, with a whole bunch of ideas for individuals, families, businesses, great bunch of tips. We could spend the entire show talking about them, but what I, I, I because of the, sh the the amount of time that we have together, I want our listeners to say that if they want that that report, reach out to us on morethanmoneyradio.com. Go to contact us, ask for the tax tips for 2020, and we'll make sure we send that out to you. Uh, Jamie, you do a lot of good work when it comes to this type of stuff, and I think what sometimes doesn't get is that people don't get that that information in their hands right away. So we're going to help uh, spread the news on that. So I want to thank you in advance of that. We also want to so just so you know that the report is ten pages this year. Ten pages of all the COVID nineteen stuff. Ten pages of information. Gotcha. It's twenty pages based on Dave's eyesight because the font <laughs> size is a lot larger. Yeah, trifocals now. <laughs> oh, thirty. That's right. So, so we wanted to kind of shift the conversation a bit to twenty twenty one. Some of the things that people are worried about. Mm. Two things that have come up, Jamie. One is wealth tax. The other one is tax on your principal residence. Tell us a bit of a background of what you're thinking about that and what's the likelihood of these things happening next year or the year after that? Yeah, a lot of debate about the wealth tax survey just came out that a lot of Canadians do support a wealth tax. However, uh, it was introduced uh, not formally as a bill, but the motion was brought uh, this week. Uh, it was actually defeated. It was brought up by the NDP and the House. Liberals defeated it uh, this week in terms of wealth tax. So I don't think that there's a lot of liberal support for a wealth tax at, at this point in time. Uh, that could change in the future. There are only four countries in the world that we know of that actually have a wealth tax. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think we're going to go uh, the wealth tax regime. It only applied to the very wealthy. Uh, there was an estimate by the Parliamentary Budget Office. I think they said that 
uh, you know, would affect about 14,000 families, uh, uh, 14,000 people, and uh, that's if they taxed at 1% wealth over $20 million. So that would raise about five, six billion, something like that. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's on the table. The principal residence exemption, this is an interesting one. It sort of came, uh, you know, we started trying to figure out why has everyone been talking about this thing, you know, in the last few months. And I guess there was a, um, a, sort of a, uh, some kind of a research study being done between UBC and uh, Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation. And uh, they're requesting certain information that led people to sort of start rumors that, oh, the government <laughs> might be thinking about taxing uh, principal residents. Certainly nothing official there. But if you sort of look at where we are, we have an unlimited uh, principal residence exemption in Canada. Compare that to the U.S., which only taxes the first, uh, like it will only tax you above $250,000 as an individual or 500000 That's U.S. dollars, of course, as a couple. Um, and we have a very generous exemption here. So, you know, could the government, you know, tax the residents? They could. I don't think they would just sort of announce it one day and then all of a sudden the next day your, your taxes, the, you know, your principal residence is taxed. I think what they would do, and I think the only way to be fair about it, because a lot of people are counting on the sale of a principal residence to fund their retirement, of course, uh -huh. is that they would do some kind of pro rata calculation. And they would say, how many years have you owned the home? So if we're going to introduce this in 2021, so the years prior to 2021 would be exempt. The years after that would be taxable. You'd take a pro rata exemption and basically say if you had it for 20 years and then you sold it next year, so 120th of it might be taxable, the rest would be tax-free, or maybe they put an exemption. So nothing official there, just a bunch of rumors and speculation. Um, I think if, if, if anything uh, that the government might tweak, it's probably the, the capital gains inclusion rate, yeah. which has uh, certainly been up and down over the last uh, you know 20 years or so. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if that is something to look at before taxing people's principal residences. So a high chance of capital gains inclusion tax uh, increase there, uh, low probability of a wealth tax, low probability of a principal residence tax. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I wouldn't say high possibility. You know, I'm putting it at 51 percent right now. Okay. <laughs> I okay. to put well, that's good. Enough. Estimate I used to be at 49 percent. Okay. So now I'm at 51 percent on the capital gains inclusion rate in terms of not the rate, but in terms of the likelihood that the government might do something next year. Perfect. Okay. Jamie, thank you. We've got to wrap it up there. Uh, we appreciate always uh, your time and your input. All right. Stay safe, guys. You too. We've been joined by Jamie Golenbeck, who's the Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Private Wealth Management. Um, we've got a, a seminar coming up, my friend. We've got to make sense of all of this, whatever the tax changes will or won't be. You still have to fund your retirement. Biggest expense in retirement is taxes. If you can mitigate, minimize that, You've got more wealth. You've got more income, cash flow. Your lifestyle is protected. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, December 8th, 7 p.m., live online. Now you need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Listen, if you want to learn how to trade your portfolio and make money, stick around after the break. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, Faisal, we've talked about lots today. We've talked about um, sort of the markets and how it's pricing it. We've talked about taxes. We've talked about geopolitical events, the COVID um, pandemic, the, mm -hmm. the Biden administration, all of these things. Um, those are, are current and topical today. But you know what I want to say to people is next year or two years from now, it'll be a, a different issue issue or set of issues that we're dealing with. There's no, there's no time in history that we're not going to have issues. So here, here's a question that I got in the webinar yeah. that we did last month. 
or sorry, in the month of November. Here are calls that I'm getting from clients right now saying, in our growth bucket, yeah. the portfolio performance has been fantastic. Right. Double-digit returns, clients are happy, right. and they're wondering, how the heck did that happen? Right. With all the volatility, everything going in every direction possible, right. what's the secret sauce is what I was asked. Yeah. Well, there isn't a secret sauce. It's a well, there process. is. It's a process. I would say, yeah, it's, it's, it's data and process. That's the secret. Now, we talk about it at a very high level usually. Yeah. So can we get into it? Can we, yep. can we educate our listeners on how do you actually get good results in times like this? Right. What's the process, the secret sauce? And why? I want, I want to address the – so process, we talk about the different steps. But I, I want to actually talk about some of the, the moves we made as the pandemic was going on and, and why, what the data was supporting. Yeah. Okay? Because I think what – you know, we talk about this idea of process all the time, Faisal. People may, you know, you're driving, you're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. But why why do certain things? Now, this is all historical, and this is all based on this current, you know, set of circumstances. But it will demonstrate, I think, that no matter what is going on, whatever the crisis, mm -hmm. there's always opportunity. And we saw that in 2015. Yeah. We saw it this year. When there's major volatility, you know I get excited. So let's yeah. kind of walk through the process of what, what needs to be done in a portfolio when you're looking for growth and you have volatility. And the reason why I, I want to spend some time on this, Dave, is because when a person is transitioning to or living in retirement, they are filled with a whole bunch of ideas. Ideas like 100 minus your age equals how much you should have right. in the stock market or just buy good dividend-paying stocks and right. you'll be okay. And right. here's a financial calculation that if you just take our dividend portfolio, you're going to make money. Or that kind of stuff has been, they're getting bombarded with this kind of information. Yeah. And, and, and okay, so let's, I, yes, you're right. And what, what's the right course of, of action? I always talk about, there's, there's sort of four variables. Two of them are superpowers, as I call them, that we can control. Okay? And I'm going to frame it like this. There's the structure and the discipline, and we're going to talk about the discipline today. Perfect. Okay? So those are our superpowers of investors. The factors that we got to uh, um, uh, work within when we're applying the discipline and the structure is the timeline, what's going to happen if it's, you know, markets are down, what's the recovery time, okay? And we've also got this notion of volatility. Beautiful. Okay? So in that context, I want to take people back to, um, let's talk about discipline. I want to go back to June of last year. Okay. okay, because this speaks to volatility, timeline, discipline, all of it. Um, in June of last year, we had made some changes to our growth portfolio based on the economic data that, uh, by reducing the amount of equity exposure we had in our growth portfolio. Yeah. Okay. Now that was based on things like inverted yield curve data, and it was things like slowing manufacturing data. Okay. Housing starts, so Got on it. and so forth. Data. Yep. Now, if you remember what happened in the last half of 2019, is equity markets continued to perform well, which is often the case. It's called a melt up. Okay. As the data worsens, you get this bit of a melt up at the at the end. So this had nothing to do with the pandemic, but the economic data told us that we needed to reduce. Equity exposure. Okay. And a okay. side note, do you know how many phone calls I got? Yeah. Saying, what the hell are you doing? Right. Because we look like dummies because markets kept going up. And we're, we're taking money off the table. Correct. We're putting it into more safer investments. Correct. Than the equity markets, the stock markets, and the thing keeps on going up. What right. are you doing, Faisal? Selling into the rally. And, and you're right. We got lots of phone calls. You Ooh. guys are dummies. <laughs> okay. 
said, okay, we got it, but here's what the economic data is telling us to do. There's a discipline there. Okay. Now we roll into the early part of 2020. Now, we didn't know a pandemic was going to hit, but, of course, a pandemic hits in late February. Things start to get really dicey. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as we hit this crisis and it becomes apparent that, you know, things are going to get shut down, what we did is we actually trimmed some more of our equity exposure and our and our alternative equity exposure um, or alternative trading exposure, and we added a gold position. Correct. Right? To the portfolio. What the heck are you investing in gold for, Faisal? Right. Why add gold, right? So now we got to go back to the discipline and the data. Okay. So let's kind of go through the data, which will lead to the discipline. We took the, the thesis that... There is no government that's going to say, eh, we give up. Right. And we took the data and said every single central banker understood what happened in 2008. And they're going to put more firepower now at a faster rate than they did in 2008 because they don't want to see that kind of a ramification for lack of decision-making process. Right. And so what they did is they they put their decision-making process on Red Bull. Yep. They went extra fast. They were pushing and pushing and... And to the point where they said, we're going to securitize everybody. Right. Drop From rates, Apple print to money. small company. Yeah. We're, if you're publicly traded, if you got bonds, whatever, we're going to pump so much money in here that you're going to just sit back. Then the federal governments came in and said, we're not going to allow our citizens to just sit there and not, and not have any type of protection. We're going to pump a whole bunch of money. We call it CERB here in Canada, but we weren't the only country that did that. Right. We saw this coming. Yeah. Well, we had two things happen. You had the monetary policy, which was which was uh, pretty easy to forecast given the response that central banks had in the 0809 crisis. Correct. What we didn't see in 0809 was the fiscal response, the government response. Correct. But let's go back to gold. The data says okay, that um, uh, that as it's called the M2 money supply, the amount of U.S. cash in the system, yep. okay, as it increases, okay, you should see gold price move higher. And certainly with a low interest rate, the carrying cost of gold becomes attractive. So that was, an, uh, that was a piece of a, um, an asset class that we felt would benefit Okay, given the data in the situation that we were in. Now, do you remember? I said, are you sure about gold, Dave? Mm-hmm. And what did you say to me? It's the data. That's right. The data, this, this dictates the, let me say that again. The yep. data dictates the discipline. Right. And the discipline was, this is the data, put the part, put a part of the portfolio in the gold. And we did. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, we're, none of this should be construed as a recommendation. This, this, this is just exactly. the data that we, were, we want to share with you, the process of why we were doing things that we were doing. There's lots of ways to do this. this is, we just want to say this is how we were doing it and give you some insight into this. It is not a recommendation for anybody. You've got to seek professional advice on anything. Absolutely. And this is all historical moves that we've made. Then came the end of... March, beginning of April, and I said to you, mm-hmm. this is Boxing Day shopping. You did. It doesn't make sense. Right. And let's go through the data. And people were selling everything, yes. thinking the world is coming to an end. Okay. We went shopping. But what did the data tell us? The data told us very clearly that when the S&P 500 falls by 30% or more, if you went back over the previous 12 crises to 1970 and you charted it, what you saw is when the S&P was down by 30% or more, Okay. Then the risk started to tilt to the upside. The timeline was still in question, but the, the risk started to tilt Correct. to the upside. Well, then we took the data of what needs to happen in the economy, and we said, okay, look, healthcare, technology, mm-hmm. stay at home. Those types of investments are going to do well. So we tilted the portfolio that way. That's how you get double-digit returns in a bad year. Right. That's how you do this type of stuff. We're, and then you've got to give me the bond market because we can't – you've got to give it. me my win. Say it. Okay. Uh, the data then told us um, in uh, in May 
we made another change, and it was based on the data that said once uh, biz- the yield on, uh, on high-yield uh, business debt exceeds 800 basis points, or 8%, of the government yields, that there is a historical opportunity to add that to the portfolio, and we made a change based on that data. Here's, here's the moral of the story, because we have less than a minute to go. The moral of the story is to have a discipline, and I, I unfortunately find that there's too many groups out there who are just promoting one strategy, not the ability to move and be tactical. Yes. So just buy growth companies, just buy dividend-paying stocks, just stick with gold, just buy Bitcoin, whatever those just buy. Right is wrong right it holds way too much risk having a tactical approach using data not emotion not emotion. structure that's will right. help you make the money over the long term yeah exactly and please let me reiterate that nothing we've said here uh, should constitute a recommendation to anybody please seek professional advice and understand the discipline and the strategy behind it correct so let's talk about strategy let's talk about discipline it's going to be on our approach on how you bulletproof your retirement on tuesday december 8th 7 p.m live online you need to go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Thanks for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We'll talk to you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.